Welcome to You Did What? The podcast which analyzes all things marketing. Your hosts, Shari Lambert and Jim Thompson, debate current brands, strategies, and actions. Welcome to this special episode of You Did What? Our guest today is Jerry Perez, a very successful executive in the branded toy industry. Jerry, welcome. Thank you, Jim. Wonderful to be here. That's great. By the way, can you explain to us what branded play means? <laughs> well, if you think of a toy just kind of as um, a, a plastic item and just kind of a one-off thing that people used to try to sell, um, now is within, you know, everywhere in marketing, you want to build brands so that you can sell lots of those gadgets and gizmos. And so the emphasis on branded play is really an emphasis to kind of really kind of tie into the, the, the branded philosophy of marketing. And that's hence the name. Great. So that might suggest that you might go from just having a toy to introducing all different types of ways for kids or even adults to interact with the brand. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it, brand building in, in the, um, the play industry is very similar to brand building everywhere else. You want to create a strong predisposition for your brand so that you can sell any number of products and experiences that come under that label. Okay, well, this is a great time to catch up with you given the it success is. of the Barbie movie. How about that? Yeah. yeah. So can you, um, uh, well, let me mention when um, my wife and I went to see, went to the movies, <laughs> uh, we were going to see Oppenheimer, but the vast majority of people in the theater were going to a different screen <laughs> and that was to see Barbie. And it was really fun to see all the moms and, and daughters and uh, teens and 20 somethings and even aunts um sometimes brothers i've all there dressed everybody dressed yeah, in pink yeah. all excited to go see the barbie movie yeah, yeah. so can you what, what did you think of the movie and can you um talk a little bit about you know the cultural impact of the movie yeah well let me let me try well first of all uh, you know we've been looking for as a toy person i've been looking forward to the barbie movie for some time because it's it's really unique in that it's not the traditional kind of entertainment that sells toys. You know, oftentimes entertainment in the, the toy industry is, is kid-directed, so as to prompt the kid's request for the product, you know. Um, and so, you know, this was a little bit different because this really isn't a kid-directed movie. Kids can certainly go to it, but it's really made with the, the general population in mind. And um, I thought they did an amazing job with the Barbie movie. And one thing that struck me when my wife and I went to the theater was how um, diverse the audience was. You talked a lot about, you know, women in it. Certainly there was a significant complement of women in the Barbie audience, but I saw what is termed in the, the, the movie business four quadrant, which is um, old and young, male and female, you know, and the four quadrants that mm -hmm. result from putting that into a matrix. Um, and I saw a lot of that. I saw, you know, older men. I saw older men with their wives. I saw younger women. Certainly I saw um, women with their dates, with their male dates, you know, and it was it was amazing to see Barbie pull in such four quadrant 
massive audiences and and uh it just speaks to how well the movie was marketed and it speaks to the 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 general cultural appeal of this icon that's been around since 1959. yeah and well speaking of that you made a comment to me when we were talking before we started the episode the podcast episode today about the generational connections Mm -hmm. with a product like barbie can you expand on that yeah, the the generational um, appeal of some of these concepts that have experienced big resurgences in the last, I would call it, twenty years, is uh, generational appeal. Meaning that you know the appeal to both parents and children has been a huge factor uh, in the success of some of these brands. I can speak firsthand to a a brand that I managed in uh, the Hasbro portfolio. And that was Star Wars. When um, the last trilogy of Star Wars came out, you had parents that were dying to share this entire Star Wars experience with their children. And everything from, you know, going to the movies and dress up to buying all the products um, that have that was associated with that movie and subsequent, you know, films Mm -hmm. of that trilogy. But it was it was a huge part of what made that franchise successful again. And, and we saw that in a really, really big way with Barbie, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, and the cultural impact's been amazing. It feels like every story in the press, whether it's the general press or media, the business media has been about Barbie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's really been a an amazing story. Well, you look, you have you have two big factors going on there. You have Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers, who did the movie and the movie marketing, um, and they did an absolutely exceptional job by figuring out, you know, what images people would be intrigued by and putting them into um, the the general consciousness. You got Barbie and Ken skating in Barbie outfits. Uh, on Venice Beach, which was the first image that they released, um, to a whole scat of images, the you know Ryan Gosling as Ken, you know that that blew up the internet. They just did a brilliant job with it. So you have Warner Brothers on one hand, but you also have Mattel, um, who knows this brand uh, inside and out, and uh, who knows how to market Barbie. And they, I'm I'm sure, were a, a huge huge part of what was going on with, with the marketing of Barbie. Mm-hmm. Barbie movie. So I love your example of the Star Wars experience. Yeah. Um, and uh, at Hasbro, you had uh, existing Hasbro brands that uh, moved from uh, traditional toy into entertainment. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about what's the benefit of that? You know, maybe for Transformers or yeah. or My Little Pony. What's the benefit of expanding from the basic toy into entertainment uh, vehicles? Yeah, it, it's it's interesting. The, the marketing of toys in general has has evolved significantly over the last you know twenty to thirty years. Um, it used to be you know that toys were marketed on a very individual basis, not so much brand basis. Um, you know, you you had a toy and it was um, you know a, a vehicle that flipped over or a vehicle that was you know that jumped off cliffs and still survived. You had these these engineering marvels, um, and that were often um, these innovative pieces of plastic that people really wanted to buy and have fun with. Um, then that began to go more into the brand status, and people began to be much more conscious about marketing way beyond just individual toys. And when brand marketing hit, that's when entertainment marketing really 
came to the fore in a big way because um, entertainment was a way um, to to develop content that really made people fall in love with your brands for the first time or all over again. And entertainment became huge. And one of the best examples of that in the Hasbro portfolio is Transformers. You know, Transformers for many years was exactly that kind of spectacular toy that made this incredible physical transformation. And uh, ha until Hasbro decided, well, this is all great. And, and there had always been animation, you know, directed to children um, on the on the Transformers brand. But Brian Goldner and team, um, you know, back, I guess it was in the 90s. I'm just trying to reconstruct here. Uh, decided this could be um, a great Hollywood franchise and selected, you know, a great action director in Michael Bay and came up with truly one of the, the greatest Hollywood franchises of all time. Um, and that, I think, taught people the power of entertainment um, in toy marketing. And mm -hmm. it, it's been around ever since. And, you know, obviously Disney is a master at that. Uh, Warner Brothers with its DC universe is a master at that, too. So you're seeing a lot more a, a lot more toy marketing being done um, with entertainment as the base. Yeah. So you mentioned Star Wars and one of the aspects of of marketing those films were the tie ins um, and Hasbro was one of the tie ins. Um, and so can you talk a little bit about what's the benefit of of a tie in or tie ins for the movie franchise and what's the benefit for the company who's tying in? There's two parties there. Why do they do it? What are, what are their expectations for those yeah. relationships? Well, let's look at the example of uh, the Barbie movie. Well, first of all, when what Warner tapped into was a, an American, actually not just an American, a global icon. Barbie is not just an American franchise. And uh, certainly when I was at Mattel uh, on Fisher Price, not on Barbie, but, um, you know, kind of approximate to Barbie, um, the global business, I think, was over half the business on Barbie. So this is a, a truly global franchise. So think about that. If you're Warner Brothers and you can crack the formula of what makes for a great story behind Barbie, um, you've, you're tapping into incredible existing awareness um, that, that just you, don't, you, you can market the movie and you will market the movie but you're tapping into something that you know has incredible existing awareness and also just tremendous appeal and excitement for, for consumers. So certainly they get a benefit from that because they're buying into something they don't have to sell very hard, you know, and that everybody knows. Um, Mattel, in this case, gets a benefit um, from the exposure of the brand. Um, I read in the Mattel recent earnings report, their second quarter earnings report, that they had uh, over 165 different marketing partners mm. for this brand. Now think about that, That's 165 additional entities marketing the Barbie movie and Barbie, you know, alongside this. So it just adds to tremendous exposure, certainly to the movie and about the movie, but in general, it just, you know, sends your brand um, into, you know, the stratosphere of cultural conversation. And uh, both both Warner Brothers and, and Mattel benefited tremendously from this partnership. Yeah. 
so and, and what do you think the expectations are for the companies who are doing the tie-in? What are they hoping to get out of it, either in terms of connection to the brand or sales increase, or revenue increases? I, I think that they're, um, depending on what kind of the merchandise is, I think they're expecting, obviously, significant benefits from signing up. I mean, you can't get much better known um, of a property than something like Barbie, which uh, obviously has tremendous global awareness, as I said. So I think they're hoping that they can kind of fly on the coattails of this, you know, this phenomenon that's going to be out there. And I, it, it seems like it's, it's worked for a lot of them. So um, let's shift gears a little bit um, as it relates to toys. Um, one of the unique things about this category is the incredible concentration of retail. Uh, so companies like Mattel with Barbie, or you mentioned Hasbro with Transformers, other products, um, they're generally not selling directly to the consumer. They may have some, but the mass majority is going through retailers. Can you talk a little bit about the concentration of retailers, uh, especially in the U.S.? And then when you're, um, from your experience with the companies you've been with, what do you do? Uh, what does a Hasbro do to ensure that they have a great relationship um, with one of those three major or all three of those major retailers? Mm, yeah. Well, the retail trade and the distribution channels are obviously key because uh, a company like Mattel does sell some things direct, but it's certainly nowhere near a big, big part of the business or certainly nowhere near the majority of, of the sales there. And with retail uh, splitting between now brick and mortar and then the online piece, um, just retail in general is, is really important to manage effectively. Um, retail, whether it's online or brick and mortar, retail loves a party. And if you can put together the formula for a party, and by that I mean a significant event that's gonna surprise and delight people and drive traffic to their stores, they are all in. And so while a movie like uh, Barbie, which as I said earlier, really isn't a kid-directed movie, and you might not expect to stimulate kid requests and thus kid-directed sales, um, it, um, by the nature of the party and the, the phenomenon that's being created here, retailers can't ignore that. So what they're gonna do is they're gonna build displays in store. They're going to build web pages that celebrate this. They're going to they're going to go all out to um, tell people that they're invited to this party and that there's great merchandise available um, as a result of that. And just the presence of that extraordinary uh, merchandising activity will drive sales that are not necessarily from the movie, but just based on the, the in-store and the online presence in these retailers of these products, that will drive sales dramatically. In fact, it's one of the biggest pieces that drives sales in, in the toy business. Yeah, it's very interesting. How far in advance do you think, in this case, Mattel um, met with the retailers to, to present to them the Barbie movie and what they were gonna be doing? Um, I, my guess would be, if I base it on experience that uh, I had at, um, at Hasbro, um, my guess would be that they're talking years in advance, at least a couple years, to get on that retailer calendar for, you know, July of 2023. There's going to be a big event. You want to be part of it. 
let us give you a little preview of what that looks like. Greta Gerwig's doing the movie, Margot Robbie's Barbie, it's gonna be big. They're having these conversations, um, I think at least two years in advance. Um, The product is being developed uh, likely a year and a half in advance, certainly at least a year in advance of of dropping around the movie uh, time. Um, but they're they're beginning these converse, these strategic conversations to, to align plans very early on. Mm-hmm. Um, this whole industry sounds really interesting. Uh, you've spoken to um, uh, my classes at Temple University, mm-hmm. and and the students are really intrigued when they start hearing about the challenges in terms of production and how far in advance. And when the supply chain issues were hitting. Um, a couple of years ago, the impact on an industry like toys that produces way in advance. Yeah. And how do you, in the world, do you catch up if, if a product takes yeah. off way faster than expected? And also things like um, tariffs. You know, I remember you talking about uh, certain countries where there were unique tariffs and it really impacted the um, you know individual yeah, products. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to kick in here, Jim, because it was really important, you know, what what happened during COVID here. Um, So here we are in in March of of 2020, the pandemic is declared, uh, kids can't go to school, parents can't go to work, everybody's at home. And so how did parents deal with this? Well, they had to find a way to occupy their children. um, And, you know, hopefully in a way that had some educational aspects to it, um, but certainly occupy their Children keep them, you know, uh, keep them from going crazy with boredom. And so demand for toys exploded, exploded because kids were at home. Parents needed these tools to be able to interact with their kids, you know, and and to also be able to, you know, maybe escape for a few minutes and get work done, you know, uh, via Zoom Mm -hmm. or the Internet. So um, demand exploded and the toy industry was caught short and, you know, Companies estimated, companies the size of Hasbro and Mattel estimated that they were missing hundreds of millions of dollars because they didn't have the inventory to meet the unexpected level of demand from that. Well, then what happened was they began to gear up the factories and just you know make product as if there was no tomorrow. And now, uh, and then they shipped that product and then the demand cooled a little bit as people went back to work and you know things got back to normal. People went back to work and all those things. So um, the demand cooled, and then there was uh, a lot of inventory. And and both Hasbro and Mattel have indicated in their their recent earnings releases they're still working through that old inventory because when there is inventory that's you know left over from previous years, retailers are reluctant to buy a lot more new stuff mm-hmm. um, because their channels are already filled. Um, and they tend to want to run through that old inventory. So I think both of the big companies are, are facing that. But uh, that was an extremely unique situation that the toy industry had never really faced in quite the same way. Yeah, I mean, it, it, what a bizarre time in, in yeah, many, many ways. But, but certainly that whole the whole supply chain issue. And especially in an industry where so, a high percentage of sales occurred during the holiday, Christmas holiday period, um, it just makes it that much harder to catch up. Um, so before we close, I'd love if you could um, comment on something for our for our student listeners. Um, I remember uh, you, when you spoke at Temple, you talked to the students about 
in terms of your career, find something that you're really good at and you really love. And if you can do that, you'll have a wonderful career. So um, what was it about this industry that really turned you on, that you really liked? Obviously, you were really good at it, so that part you covered. What was it about the industry that was so rewarding for you? Yeah, well, I'll I'll refer back to um, the the first job I ever had coming out of business school where I met you, Um, and that was the Quaker Oats Company. And that um, that was a marketing job in consumer products, which at that time was the hot marketing field that any good marketer wanted to be in there. And um, it, at Quaker, I, I enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed the people I met. Um, but at the same time, it, I didn't feel it was a highly creative industry. And it certainly at that time didn't involve a lot with entertainment um, and stuff that is personally I'm, I'm passionate about. And when I had the opportunity to get my first job in toys, which was with a company called Kenner that Hasbro eventually acquired, um, I, I, I jumped at it because for me, it was this, um, this right brain, left brain thing. You know, it was um, running a business, thinking strategically and logically about what made for success, but at the same time coming up with creative ideas and innovations that other people hadn't thought of before. And, you know, you're, you're dealing with um, a very creative community and of designers and, you know, packaging and concept people that just was, for me, that, that mix of right brain and left brain, um, I'm, I'm not sure you get it in as many different industries um, as, as the toy industry. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, that for me was what I loved and what, what sustained me in the toy business and why I really loved my over 30 plus years in that business. That's great. Hey, Jerry, I want to thank you very much. This has been great. I really appreciate your joining us on the podcast, especially on a topic so so topical as um, entertainment and toys right now because of uh, of the impact of Barbie. So thank you very much. Well, thank you for having me. It's, it's been fun talking with you, Jim. Thank you for listening to today's episode. The You Did What podcast is a production of the Temple University American Marketing Association student chapter. Our editors are TUAMA students Joseph Del Grippo, Abhijit Chaudhary, and Mackenzie Jones. And our technical advisor is Jennifer Zalia.